Hello, and welcome to Who's in the Pew? I'm Melissa PC, editor of La Fe magazine. This show is an extension of La Fe and a production of We Hope, which is run by the Diocese of Laredo's Communication Department. Each week, we will get to know someone new and learn a little bit about his or her unique involvement in our diocese. We hope you will enjoy meeting others who sit in the pews of parishes right here in the Diocese of Laredo. Hello, and welcome to Who's in the Pew. Today I have joining me Deacon Michael Santaseri and his lovely wife, Dawn. Both are parishioners at Divine Mercy Church, and they have seven children. Welcome, Deacon Michael and Dawn. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I know both of you are not native Texans, so I thought we could start out with sharing just a little bit about how you all met and how you ended up in Texas. <laughs> so I'm an army brat. My father was in the army. We moved. I was born in North Carolina. We lived in upstate New York. We lived outside of El Paso, back to North Carolina, and then we moved to Massachusetts, and that's where I met Dawn in high school. In high school. Right. I lived in the same town my whole life. I was born in the same hospital that my dad was born in, that my grandfather was born in, and possibly my great-grandfather was born in. Um, <laughs> our daughter, our biological daughter, Angelina, was born in the same hospital. Wow. Um, so I did not like moving around at all. It was hard for me. It was easy for, for Mike. But <laughs> Very different lifestyles. Def <laughs> definitely different lifestyles. Um, but when he came to Massachusetts... We were in our sophomore year. Um, he was extremely quiet, and I had the same friends the whole time I was in high school, so I was not quiet. <laughs> like when your comfort zone is high school. Um, so I noticed the new kid. <laughs> I walked over to him, and I said, Hi, I'm Don. How are you? And he continued to give me one word answers <laughs> on his name, where he was from. And I said, you do realize I'm not going to go away until you give me more than a one word answer. <laughs> not leaving and he you said, alone. okay. <laughs> <laughs> and from there, our friendship blossomed and he became my best friend. And years later, we started dating. <laughs> so, and now you all have been married how many years? We were married outside of the Catholic Church in 2004 and then married inside the Catholic Church in 2012, wow. so, which was part of our amazing <laughs> faith-filled journey. Yes. Well, because when you met, you weren't Catholic at the time, right, Dawn? Right. Um, and I had no intention of becoming Catholic until 2012 <laughs> when our lives drastically changed. Um, what was it in, in 2012 that changed your lives? 2011. 2011. This, this was all 2011. She's off a year. <laughs> I didn't become, become she, Catholic she became a Catholic until in 2012. 2012. Okay, so starting we, in 2011, yes, you yes, all we got, had... We had our marriage blessed in 2011. You're right. I'm sorry. <laughs> I admit it. I was off a year. <laughs> it happens. It happens. Um, so in 2011, in February, we had... Um, I found out I was pregnant at the end of 2010 and our daughter was diagnosed in February of 2011 with a fatal birth defect. Um, that year was quite the year. It was a roller coaster year for us. Um, we had the tragic news or what we thought would be tragic news of our daughter passing away right after birth. 
to God having other plans and her not passing away right after birth and mm. and coming home from the hospital and having amazing memories with her. And um, she went with me to every RCIA class that I went to and and she was there all the way through 2012 when I received my sacraments and, and official welcome into the Catholic Church on Easter. And then right after she passed away. Um, so it was a, a rocky year with some amazing, amazing transformations in our, in our journey, including Michael and I having our marriage blessed in the church wow. on his birthday in 2011. On his birthday. <laughs> That's beautiful. And that was that was your daughter Katie. Yes. And I know Katie was was featured. You all were featured and her story <laughs> yes. was in La Feb back in <laughs> 2011. Um and and we we shared that and then I believe she passed away right before um the issue had printed, right? You said right yes. after Easter. Yes. She passed away on April 18th and it came the ed- the edition of La Fe came out within a couple weeks, Hmm. Um, which was really nice because we still had something tangible to hold on to. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Keep her memory alive. Yes. And I know that's, that obviously is a very, very difficult to say the least cross to bear. Um, Losing a child, a a diagnosis um, like that, where you know, you know, your child has a terminal Mm -hmm. illness. I know for many people, it's very easy to turn to abortion. And, you know, right. you uh, it seems like a simple answer, <laughs> right? You kind of avoid all the suffering and all the pain. That's, that's I think, how people oftentimes view it. Right. Um, and they believe that abortion is, is a good choice to make in some cases. What would mm-hmm. you say, and, and having gone through and, and kept her life um, – given that value to her and spent those moments with her, what can you say about that experience and and not choosing abortion? So after, well, during really, but mostly after her passing, I became involved in a lot of anencephaly awareness groups um, and where people, families, fathers and mothers, sisters, brothers, grandparents would join with and they had just gotten this diagnosis and they were debating their options. And some of them having gone through abortions, a lot of them regret it and say, it doesn't take away the hurt. I still miss her. I just miss her, miss my child more now. And I don't have the memories. I wasn't able to go out and do all these things that I wanted to do, whether it was go to the beach or go visit family during my pregnancy that we would have done after, um, I cut myself short. I cut my child's life short thinking that it would be easier later on Mm. when in fact, now I feel like I missed out on all those opportunities instead of dealing with the pain later that I'm dealing with now anyway. So the misconception of taking away the pain and making it easier it doesn't go it doesn't away. it doesn't change the outcome it just makes everything happen sooner and the grieving sooner mm-hmm. we're coming in from the dad side <laughs> and maybe even adds more pain right the, the i mean life is still beautiful no matter what shape it takes and and just 
discarding it is is never the answer. Right? Murder's still wrong. Right. No matter how you look at it. And that was never even something that you all, I mean, <sighs> that was unthinkable to you, right? No. No, absolutely not. We walked out of the office that day and I'm like, nope. <laughs> it's not happening. <laughs> like, could not, would not ever happen. Like, I couldn't fathom not having her with me for every single second possible, whether she was in the womb or outside of it. It was, you know, I, God gave her to me for however long he has given her to me for, and I will cherish every single second. We will cherish every single second. And you had closure, <coughs> having taken right. her home and she met her older sister. Right. And, and I'm sure, too, for your daughter, I mean, that's mm-hmm. something that she would have completely missed out on. Right. I'm sure that's affected her, too, you know, even though she was young at the yeah. time. But Right. She was five years beautiful. old when Katie was born. Um, I have a, a beautiful picture of Angelina holding Katie oh, on the couch. I think she's on the couch. Or maybe it was in the hospital. Even. It was in the hospital. And she just has this. This smile on her face. Oh, yep. proud it's big so sister. Yep. yep. She was feeding her a bottle, one of her, Katie's first bottles. She sat down and she was feeding her and, and she just had this look of, I get to hold my sister. I get to love on her for even a little while. Because even at the hospital, we didn't know how long she was going to make it. Right. Um. So, and everything that we had gone through before Katie's diagnosis and- Mm-hmm. It was, we cherish every single second. Yes. And and so. she was with you for nine months? Yes. Nine months, five days. Wow. And I highlight the five days because she wasn't supposed to make it five days. Um, those extra five days were an added amazing time. They were hot, probably the hardest because the last three days we knew she was going to be passing. Mm-hmm. She had gotten to the point where... We could obviously see she was sick mm-hmm. and that she wasn't going to make it very much longer. Um, but God gave us the time with our family and we had family and friends come over and and our house was never quiet. It was never empty <laughs> <laughs> from the morning until the night. Grandparents and friends and um, everyone was at our house giving her hugs and kisses while they could and and talking about all the things that she had done and places we had gone and um, that we never imagined. That's beautiful. So. Such a such a short time, and yet she affected <laughs> your family. And sounds yes. like you know just brought people a lot closer together in in the short time that she was alive. And she definitely did. And then we so we went to Precana in June. Yes. And so she was. Pregnant with Katie during pre-Cana. Because so, Katie was born in July. So she was very heavily pregnant, as she said. Yes, I, was, I was very, very pregnant in June in Laredo. Ooh, yeah, that's not fun. Keep <laughs> um, in mind, I wasn't Catholic and I had no intention of becoming Catholic. And so I fought Michael tooth and nail about going to Precana. I was not happy about it. I didn't understand why I had to go to Precana. We had been married outside the Catholic Church for seven years. What could they possibly teach us? <laughs> <laughs> but we had, had our had struggles up and down. And after, at that time, Precana was two days long. Um, at the end of the first day, I looked at him and said, "I am so sorry. I fought you because 
I've already learned so much more and we're only halfway through. Wow. Um, and it really changed my perspective um, on, I still had no intention of becoming Catholic, but my perspective on beca- uh, on the Catholic church and, and what I thought I knew and what I didn't know. Um, so it was one of those, you know what? It was a real, <laughs> real eye-opener, um, which was, I'd like to think my foot into the Catholic church. Um, <coughs> if we hadn't gone through Burkina when we did, I wouldn't have met Martha Miller and and really had that, you know, what it was a welcome um, that I had felt at Divine Mercy, but not fully embraced at that point until later on. And now you <laughs> both um, continue to, now you are both speaking at Prekina, helping yes. other couples to prepare for marriage, right? Yes, we are. <laughs> wow. Almost every month. <laughs> Almost every month. If wow. it's in English, generally we're there, which is. This, the original Prekina got us involved with this Miller, with mm-hmm. Martha. So then we became in, involved in pro-life stuff, the, the Rotary Walk, the Life Chain. Right. I just realized I was away from the mic. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can move in a little. <laughs> so we, we got involved in the pro-life with with Martha and, and that, that side, partially through meeting her through pre mm-hmm. Right. And the impact that it had on Dawn. Right. <clears throat> Everything with Katie, Martha... And her whole family were there with us. Really? Um, they walked side by side with us. They've become some of our dearest friends mm-hmm. in Laredo. Um, they come to birthday parties and quinceañeras. <laughs> <laughs> All the, All the big festivities. life moments. Um, even in holidays, it, we always make sure to text each other because they, they are such important people in our life. And if it hadn't been for pre Cana and then the pro-life department and, and movement, we wouldn't be where we are today. Wow. And it was really because of Katie that both of you ended up, um, oh, for Michael, uh, coming back to the church, right? And that kind of started your um, journey into the church. Is that correct? No, I had already started coming back to church. Okay, had, you already I had. I just started though. Okay. Right before, okay. right before the diagnosis. Right before the diagnosis. Like three months, I think. Because you were right. raised Catholic. Yes, I was raised Catholic by by a Portuguese mother and an <laughs> Italian father. So <laughs> you, you're, you're nothing yes. else but, but Catholic. <laughs> right. Um, I had no intention of becoming Catholic ever. <laughs> ever? <laughs> that wasn't even on my radar. I was like, nope, that's not going to be me. I didn't understand. Um, my grandmother was Catholic, so I had rosaries, but it wasn't, I think I went to mass maybe three times growing up. I went to church with my mom. It was a Protestant church. I loved that church. That's so all you knew. that was all I knew. And it was very much a, this is how I intend on staying until I realized that the church that I was going to hear wasn't the fit that I needed. Through her or through Katie's diagnosis, mm. and I didn't feel like God was with me there. But when I would go to church with Michael and pick Angelina up, I felt God very clearly saying, "I'm here 
whether you feel me over at that church or not, I'm here. You just need to come to me, be with me. I want you. Do you want me? Um, so when, during my pregnancy, I was, or Michael came to me and said, I want you to be blessed go to father Michael for a blessing. And I said, okay, (laughs) (laughs) I didn't understand why, um, in my church, the church that I grew up in and the church that I was going to, they didn't do blessings the same way. Um, but it was an all encompassing transformation in my heart and soul. It's like that was the first move <laughs> and the first step. And he came, Michael came to me again a few weeks later. I want you to be prayed over again. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I don't understand. But something happened that first time and I want more of it. <laughs> and I walked out with an overwhelming sense of peace the second time. And you know, he came to me a third time and and it was an overwhelming sense of peace that I desperately needed and it was a very much a okay i am getting closer to where i need to be i'm bringing angelina closer to where she needs to be and then after katie was born father michael was actually in the or with us he, katie was baptized in the or i had a c section oh. so he was in the room right he was brought into the room right after katie was born oh wow and she was baptized and he heard her first cries. Oh. So there was that, okay, you know what, God, if a priest is in the room when your daughter is born, maybe I'm on the wrong path and I need to switch gears and really open my ears and listen to where you want me to be. And it wasn't at the church that I had been going to. It was in the Catholic church. Like I had known that their arms were wide open open and just waiting for me, but I was still hesitant. And then after everything happened, like, you know what? I'll go to RCIA. I'll learn more. And then I'll make my decision. After going to a handful of RCIA classes on Sundays, I was like, no, this is home. I need to come home to church. I need to come home to my father's house. I need this every week because I can't make it through the rest of my life without this. I realized something had been missing. Now, Michael and I had gone through a lot of losses. I had a miscarriage before Angelina. Mm -hmm. I had two after Angelina, before Katie. Then we lost Katie. And then I had two more miscarriages. So we had dealt with infertility for years and the wanting children and the having a daughter at home that wanted to be a sister. Mm-hmm. She wanted siblings so desperately that I felt I was like, I need, we need, this is a need in our family, but how do we accomplish it? Because I felt guilty. And I know a lot of women with that deal infertility. with infertility go through I can't do what I'm supposed to do as a woman. I'm called to have children. I'm called to be a mom, but I can't do it. Like, And I struggled with it for a long time. With the last miscarriage that I had, I crumbled on the floor. Oh. Um, like we were excited when 
friends and family would say they're pregnant, but it hurt. Like we were excited for them, but it hurt because I felt inadequate. Mm -hmm. Um, And Don, you're right. I think that's, it's something that I think is now starting to be spoken about more. The struggle of infertility um, among women who who have that cross to bear and and it really is is and can be a very heavy cross um right and and so you having having experienced that having gone through the loss of so many children you know through miscarriage um what did you feel God was was leading you to do at that point? You wanted to continue growing your family. I know now you have seven kids. Yes, we do. <laughs> and so, so uh, what you know? How did how did that come about? How did your your family continue to grow? And and how did you you know deal with that cross of infertility? So after going through so many losses, and that we had gotten a call from a family member saying that she was pregnant and she didn't know how to tell us because she's very close. So she knew that I struggled. It was something that I struggled with. Mm -hmm. And so she told us very delicately, we hung up the phone with her and I crumbled on the floor, Mm. Um, which was, I know, extremely hard for Michael to see. It was one of probably my lowest days dealing with infertility. So we, because my, my mother had been in foster care growing up, we said to each other, we talked about it and said, you know what? Later on, we had wanted to foster and adopt. We didn't think about it when our biological children were young. Angelina was only seven years old at that point. Mm-hmm. This is still very early for her, but we want children, we want Angelina to grow up with siblings. So maybe we start looking into it now. And it worked out that I went on the state website and we saw this beautiful little girl and it didn't work out that we, we didn't end up adopting her, but in the process of trying to find the children that we were meant to adopt, we ended up finding or doing respite. Um, and the first little girl that was placed with, or the first two girls that were placed with us, we ended up adopting. Um, which was, (laughs) we didn't go in and meet them intentionally to adopt them. They came to us for a weekend. And And that's what respite is, right? That you take care of. um, Respite is you, you're the, you're the foster family for the foster family. (laughs) You're you're the babysitter for the foster family. It's, hey, we're going out of town. We can't take these kids for whatever reason. There's multiple reasons. They have parental visits or we don't have space in the car, whatever it is. Sure. Uh, one family we did respite for is like, we're going to Mexico, but you can't take foster kids to Mexico. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so they, hey, we just need somebody to watch them. Well, they need another certified household to do that. So you so, all were certified to right. to be the babysitters for these for other foster families. Yes. Correct. While at the same time being open to fostering yourselves, right. fostering we, we to adopt. We were open to taking foster kids as well. But in that time, they're like, hey, you have bed space. Can you watch these kids for a weekend? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And so you were, you provided respite for these two girls. Yes. And after they left, we desperately missed them. We were with, so every foster agency has to obviously follow the state guidelines. Above that, each agency has their own guidelines. Mm -hmm. As long as they're meeting state minimum, 
then they can determine what works best for their agency. So our agency wouldn't allow bunk beds, which meant that we could only have so many children and they had to be girls. It could be two more girls and a boy in another room, but we couldn't do all of it. I'm sorry, correction. We could only have two girls in one room and and two children in the other room, whether it was two boys or two more girls. But it excluded us from adopting or even considering adopting the two girls that were with us because they had a brother mm-hmm. and we didn't have space for the three I children. Them. So we ended up switching agencies and going through the whole process to adopt again. All over again. <laughs> all over again. Switching agencies so that we could inquire about adopting them. And it, we didn't still didn't know if we would be able to. It was, we are going into this with the intent of trying to adopt them with an agency that would allow bunk beds. But it still was not a guarantee. We still had no information other than their names that are to go on and that we could say, okay, (laughs) put us where we need to be. It was a, okay, God, if they're meant to be with us, figure it out because we have their names and that is it. Wow. So that's a lot of waiting and a lot of trusting God in that time. Yes. How how did you feel God present to you during that time, during the waiting? You know, how were you able to because I can only imagine how, you know, at times how just difficult that that was, you know, hoping for them and it's just patience. Just stay. In my time, in, in God's time, just relax. It'll happen. Just continue just, turning it over to him. Just kept praying that pray. he would work things the way he wanted them and bring the children that he wanted to us, whether it was the girls that we had wanted or other children. It was knowing that he had a plan for us. He had children for us because we had full faith that that was his plan. His plan. He wouldn't put in our hearts, we needed more children if that wasn't going to be his plan in some way, shape, or form. But it was very much a, okay, God, I trust you <laughs> on a daily basis. I'm like, I don't understand why we're, we have to wait so much and why we've had to endure so much pain, but I trust you. And it was really coming to terms with, you know what, maybe I do need to be closer to God to, and rely on him more and stop relying on myself and the people around me instead and saying, you know what? Okay, God, you've put these people in my life to support me, but they are not going to give me the answers that you want me to have mm-hmm. and that I need that have to come directly from you. But it was in the same time that we were going through starting the foster program that Michael got started to get the call to become a deacon. (laughs) Two very big life changes all at once. (laughs) Yes. Wow. That's, that's a lot. So you started to, to get this call. You all are considering fostering. Um, I think most people would just, you know, not even think twice about it. (laughs) Obviously you did. And, and you are now a deacon. So 
Um, what made you decide to enter the diaconate program? Um, how did you feel God calling you to that? The short answer is I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so I was getting more involved in the parish. I was helping out with more things. And I kind of thought about it. Somebody brought it up. And I, I went to the meeting. So there was a, a gentleman in the parish who I mentioned to you before. I don't know to this day who it was. <laughs> he, he came up to me and he said, hey, Mike, there's, a, there's an informational meeting about the diaconate. I think you should go. So, okay, I'll think about it. And then a few days later, I heard it on, on the radio. On KHOI, on right? On KHOI. <laughs> I heard the, the advertisement for it. I said, oh, okay, I'll go down to the cathedral. And so I went to that meeting and Deacon Leonard was there. Deacon Leonard is Deacon Leonard. He's a great guy. I love Deacon Leonard. But sometimes he's very forceful and I like that. Because one of the first things he says was, the, the church, the diaconate does not need you. Although why am I here? <laughs> Sorry, but I, I understood what he, what he meant was, hey, you don't, right, uh, Right, you don't you don't have a right to do this. Right, you can you can be right. You need to show that you're worthy of it. Basically, is what he was getting at. I don't and know it's if I work. That right, it, yeah. it's a lot of work. Yeah. So then I was still thinking about it, mulling it over my head, and there was two specific days in the parish. Something happened. I remember one day, for whatever reason, Father Michael was very late to mass. I'm talking like 15 minutes, and people were like, "Mike, what do we do?" Why are you asking me? What am I supposed to do about it? They're like, well, call father. Why do I have to call father? <laughs> and there was another incident. It was kind of similar. And everybody kept turning to me. And I was like, why are you all turning to me? It was like, a foreshadowing. It was foreshadowing. Like, well, because you know what to do. Well, who says I know what to do? Like, Fine, I'll take care of it. So it was after, that, after the second incident, I was like, okay, you know what, God? Sure. I'll, I'll look into this a little more. Wow. So then I kept going through the process. Was that scary for you at all? You know, with everything that was going on at home? <laughs> Don's, yes. Yes, it was. Not much scary, but so, yeah. I mean, a little right, daunting? A little daunting because it was going to be a lot of work. And it was everything. The kids. Yeah. The kids and the program. Yes. Well, and for, for both of you, right? right? Because I think that's something that people maybe don't realize is it's quite a commitment for the wife as well. Yes. Yes, they tell us from the start, if your wife comes to us and says, hey, this is affecting our marriage too much, says, we're going to call you in and we're going to talk to you, and you're probably going to have to exit the program. It's like, we're not going to kick you out and say, hey, you know what, maybe you need to put this on hold for a while and, and look into coming back later. I think that's a beautiful thing that that the, the the family is recognized, and I mean that's how it should be. You know, right. that family comes first, and that's where the priority is. Um, and I know I've even heard bishops say, I believe it at the ordination at your ordination, he mentioned how important it was. You know, that still that family continue to come first because it is such a large commitment, and so much is required. And so the wife has to be fully on board. Yes, one hundred percent on board, especially. Going from one child to seven uh -huh. in a very short period of time, even though Katie wasn't with us anymore, obviously, it was still going from one child at home to six in a very short period of time. And at any moment, he could be called out to go take care of whatever it was at the parish. Sure. If you're needed, you're needed. And mm -hmm. there's some instances, yes, that he can say, no, I have X, Y, Z going on. But is that in the best interest of the diaconate program? Is it in the best interest of the parish? Do I really need him at home for all of this? Or can I handle it on my own? So there are times that 
I get overwhelmed and I have to stop and say, you know what? I need you home. I need help. But I also have, it's also recognizing in myself that I can deal with a lot more than I, I gave myself credit for. Don't get me wrong. It's a lot of <laughs> prayer. Going, okay, God, I don't think I can handle this. And God going, I wouldn't have given this to you if I didn't know for 100% sure that you are more than capable of dealing with all of this without him home. So put on your big girl pants and go do it. <laughs> when he was going through the diaconate program, I kept referring to myself as a baby Catholic. I had just become a Catholic a few years before. Mm-hmm. So it was st- I was still learning. I, so it was very daunting. I was learning more about the Catholic church than most Catholics that are cradle Catholics learn no, uh-huh. <laughs> in a very short period of time. And that's what, um, going back real quick to RCIA, that is right. what RCIA, I, yeah. RCIA, yeah. <laughs> tongue twisting there. That's what, it's for. <laughs> that's yes. what it's for. It's classes to prepare you to enter the Catholic right. church, to be formed. So basically what kids do through catechism classes. Right. Right. But for adults or when you're older. In a lot shorter period of time. In a lot shorter <laughs> period. So it's all crammed. Yes. <laughs> all At crammed. Divine Mercy, it's a year for adults. So you learn the basics. And they say you're old enough to continue, continue your education on your own. <laughs> so I got a headfirst dive into what it means to truly be Catholic when he was in the in the diaconate formation, he would have me come in and read. He's like, I'm like okay, <laughs> <laughs> let's see where this goes. And, and as a deacon's wife, there are times that people would look to me and okay, expect you to have answers. Expect me to have answers. I'm like, I don't know. Let me ask the actual deacon, <laughs> and I'll get back to you on that. <laughs> and there was a. There was a couple times, I think the very first interview we did with, I think it was Father Chema with the boards. It was Father Chema, Deacon Ray Gavada, I forget who the, third, the other person was, it was on the priest. I want to say Father Anthony, but I'm not sure. But, <laughs> this uh, was all as part of the diaconate? This was the, the very beginning. So it was at the, the old school there, right next to the cathedral. We okay. were upstairs. First time I'd ever been in that building, a beautiful building. Yes. I've never been there. And so when I went to that interview, she went to meet with the wives. So they they always kept her involved. There's several times when you write a letter to the bishop, and it's and they give you the format. This is what your letter is going to say, and it's I basically you know I it's my intention to continue in this formation process, etc. And then she has to write one too, saying I condone this and I I want him to continue. And if she doesn't write that letter. (laughs) This letter was maybe like three three sentences long. The wives actually have to like. Right, a full paragraph <laughs> that, like, on the paper, it's typed, so it looks like it's this short little paragraph. And then when you're writing it, I'm like, no, this is almost a full page written. And they have it's to be handwritten. And they have to oh, be really? handwritten. Like, you must handwrite this, so we know it came from you. Like, wow. My signature. No, handwrite it. Okay, understood. <laughs> right. So you have to handwrite a letter to the bishop as the wife, saying, "I am fully on board with him continuing in the program." And I know it was a little bit different for us um, and touching on the differences between being a transitional deacon and a permanent deacon. Mm -hmm. Um, A permanent deacon, most of them, they are, or their children are 
older and possibly out of the house or in high school, they don't need their parents there as much. A little bit more independent. They're more independent. And we were bringing in <laughs> our own biological daughter who was still very young. Yes. And as well as possibly adopting some young, more younger yes. children. Wow, so just was... just getting started with <laughs> right <laughs> or having this this younger phase um, with your children. Yeah, all the other all the other now deacons <laughs> in my class they were older. I was the young one. I started. I was thirty when I started. So you have to be thirty five at time of ordination. Okay, so thirty seven. We had seven years. Seven years. We got held back a year because of. COVID. Yeah. <laughs> that thing. But so we only had, so they all had, all their kids were older. I think Deacon Mario was the next one with slightly younger kids, but his kids were teenagers. Okay. They were like 15 when he started, I want to say, maybe right. a little older. And you so, all were still welcoming, so, welcoming kids into your family yeah. and growing right. your family. So even the deacon formators brought that up. Like, when you started, you had one. <laughs> we were okay with that. So it's not a hard and fast rule that you have to have older kids. It's it's what they prefer, but they really look into it. So like, you had one when you started. So we were okay with that. But then you ended up with, with six total. <laughs> and that's more to protect you, to protect the family, right? Again. To, yeah, to make sure I'm not taking time away from the family. Wow. So it came back to me. Is it? Is this okay with me? Am I okay with him being away from the family uh -huh. as much as he needs to be? Like, yes, we have invested too much as a family into this. And I am not taking you away from what God has called you to do. I will figure it out. Wow. And sometimes it requires sacrifice on my part, mm -hmm. all the, more often than not. Mm -hmm. But with the kids too, but they all know and have faith that, you know what, dad needs to be out doing what God needs him to do. And yes, that sometimes that takes him away from being able to go to the cross country and track meets or the gymnastics <coughs> classes. But you know what? God always comes first. And if God's calling him away from, from us for whatever event, then it need, that's what needs to happen, mm -hmm. and that's okay with them. And if something bothers them, they know that they can talk to us and say, you know what, Dad, this meet or this event is really important to me. We know it's coming up. And then he has the opportunity to say, you know what, I'm not going to be able to, going to be available on that day unless sure. it's an extreme emergency. Um, and obviously, if it's okay. an extreme emergency, then then it's an emergency and yes. emergencies come first. But primarily, it's we plan for him to be there if possible. And if not, then it's us girls at home now. Our son has now moved out and, and is moving on because he's 18. <laughs> <laughs> he was 11 oh. when, when we adopted him. And now he's 18 and, and moving on and prepping to go into Because we're getting old. Because huh? we're getting old. <laughs> we no, have no. definitely aged. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. So getting back to to the fostering and you're mentioning your son. and But how many kids did you end up adopting? How did that um, – I know there's siblings. You have siblings within. Yes. So – It was a total of five. It was two sibling groups, a group of three older ones. 
They were 12, 11, and 9 when we adopted them. And then two smaller ones, two younger ones. And two they babies. were they were babies. Two babies. <laughs> two babies. We adopted the first one. Well, we took her into our home when she was five months, four months old? Five months old. Riley was four months old. When four, she was four months old when she came to us. And then Gosh, we adopted her six months after that. And then the baby, Michelle, was three days old. Correction. Riley was a year and 10 months old when we adopted her. Oh. She first came to she you. She came to us when she was four months old. But then the actual adoption didn't. Right. We went through the foster care program or the foster um, process with her. We met her biological parents. We had a good relationship with them. Mm. They actually asked us if we would adopt her, if they or their family couldn't get her back, if we would adopt her. And we said, if the state allows us to, 100%, we love her just as as much as we love our own biological daughter. Yeah. And they said they saw that and they knew that. So the best place for her was with us if they couldn't get her back. Mm-hmm. Um, right after the rights for her were terminated, her bi- her baby sister was born. She came home to Michelle came home to us when she was five days old. Wow. Um, so, and we went through six months of the foster program with her or process with her. The rights for her were terminated, and then a few months later, we adopted her. She was nine months, about nine or ten months old when we adopted her. Mm. So they were both very, very, very little when we adopted them. They were baby babies when we got them. We did the whole newborn phase, (laughs) (laughs) which was kind of daunting when he was going through the diaconate program. Oh, I'm sure. Having a newborn, (laughs) newborn at home that was not sleeping through the night. (gasps) She didn't sleep through the night until she was six months old. (laughs) <laughs> and it had already been so many years for you yes. since you had been in that experience, the newborn right. phase. Wow. And when Riley came to us at four months old, she was sleeping through the night already. Oh. <laughs> she would sleep a good six-hour stretch at a time. So it had been a long time since we had done the whole <laughs> newborn phase. And it was exhausting <laughs> having a toddler and a newborn was not something I was fully prepared for. <laughs> I am thankful for it. But having Michael not be at home uh-huh. because he was in class and doing everything that he needed to do, it's like, okay, okay, God, you're going to carry me through this. You've carried me through a lot worse. <laughs> <laughs> and we will we will figure this out. And you made with, it through. <laughs> right. Unfortunately, with the older girls, they'd be like, Mom, why don't you go take a nap? We've got it for a little while. Oh, nice. So they were like, they recognized when mom was beyond exhausted and they were all old enough to, to say, okay, I'm going to step we'll, in for we'll a little watch bit. the babies for a little while while you go take an hour nap. <laughs> <laughs> if, if they need something, we'll let you know. Some living babysitters. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's great. Having their their support throughout that. Definitely. And they still continue to be amazing today. Um, Angelina and Ellie step up whenever we need them to. Ellie babysits on Tuesdays for us because we help out with the middle school youth group. And she's like, it definitely takes a sacrifice from her. She wants to go to basketball games with her friends, but she realizes that, you know what, sometimes mom and dad going out and taking care of 
other things for God is more important. So we know it's a 100% sacrifice for her. Mm. I mean, what 15-year-old doesn't want to be out with their friends versus taking care of their two little sisters? <laughs> sure. Like, <laughs> it's a big ask, but she does it and and she doesn't complain about it. And at first she did. She's like, I don't like this. I don't understand why. And after sitting down and talking to her about it, she's like, okay, I get it. I don't. I still don't like it. But, <laughs> but, okay. but she's willing to yes. pitch in and help. And Yes. And Angelina has always been – her name definitely fits her. She's definitely an angel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> her personality, she's very, very much the mom and dad need help. I'm there to help. That's – we pitch in as a family and that's all there is to it. That's beautiful. And both you mentioned, so you have edge on Tuesday nights. So I know that's one of the ways that you're involved at Divine (laughs) Mercy Church. And that was really, you've been involved for many years now, ever pretty much ever since you became a parishioner, became Catholic, right? Right. 10 years now. This is our 10th year. With doing edge, doing edge, and that is um, a youth group for middle school, middle school, middle youth, school group. youth group. Yes, they're near and dear to our hearts. We're so proud of a lot of them, um, but there's there's a group of them that have really stepped up over the last few years. So we started mm. ten years ago. It was just us. It was just her and I. Yeah. <laughs> and then the the second year we couldn't, and then we came back the year after. And now we help uh, Cindy, Cynthia. She had done it years before. She had to stop because she had had cancer. Mm. And when she finally had, when she when she beat that, that was all taken care of. She's like, hey, I want to do this again. So she really has the experience of, hey, I can put on retreats. I can get the parent team together. I'm like, cool, I can teach. <laughs> That's about all I'm good for. <laughs> I'm so, the mom of the group. <laughs> so she's like, okay, good. You teach. I'll I'll organize. And Dawn is the one that the kids kind of turn to when they're like, hey, like, can I talk to somebody for just a moment? And she's Struggling like, yeah, with sure. something. Yep. So all of your gifts and talents are right. all brought together and exactly. kind of. <laughs> right. Now one, per- one person doesn't just dominate and says, I'm in charge here. It's like, no, no, no. She's good at this. I'm good at this. And she's good at that. And we all just kind of, hey, do what you're good at. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. It's definitely worked out because we all played our strengths and, uh-huh. and filled in when we need when needed. But like, Okay. We're going to rely on what God has given us. And <laughs> and sometimes it requires us to step out of our comfort zone and teach when we, we're not comfortable teaching. But at the same time, it's sharing ourselves with the kids and saying and being real with them. We mm-hmm. found that over the years that the more real we are with them, the more they respond. And our group went from... <laughs> The year we started, we had, at the end of the year, we had 20. We were told that at the end of the year, you'd have, probably have five to 10. We had 20. <laughs> <laughs> Our group grew instead of shrinking from the beginning to the mid- well, to the end of the year. Um, to now we have, we're looking at 40 to probably 45 middle school kids going on retreat with us wow. that have been to pretty much every class Mm. because they want to be there. So our group has more than doubled at this point. I believe we have 43, 43 or 45. Something like that. Possibly more registered as 
or for the edge group. Oh, that's great because a lot of times <laughs> you see youth that, you know, they're being forced to go, especially edge, right. edge and life teen are optional programs, right? Mm-hmm. Where the youth can come and continue to grow in their faith, but it's not like catechism classes that you have to go to prepare for a sacrament. Right. And so so that's really nice that they are going by choice. They want to be there. Right. And actually a lot of the kids that are working on our retreat this year, we do a yearly retreat at the end of the school year. Uh-huh. A lot of, or pretty much all of the kids have were in edge or in, or they were in life teen. And they have now moved up and on, but they, we actually had to turn some high school kids away that were in edge before because we had too many that wanted to participate on being in team. They're like, can we help? 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 So it was like, well, let me see the bed situation, first of all, at the retreat center. Sure. Because we take them out of town. (laughs) Right. We take them out of town. Um, so it's a big retreat. There's a lot of parents that go, there's a lot of preparation that goes into it. We have a lot of college students that help us. Oh, that's fine. Um, and so, and a lot of the high school or the college students are also ones that have come back from edge from our first years in edge and have said, we want to continue and help you with these children because we saw the difference that it made in our life, we want the same thing for them. Mm. So can we can we help? The director for the retreat this year was one of the boys from our first year. And- Threw him out of class. <laughs> he was being so disruptive. I told him, step outside. We went to talk. I went outside to talk to him. He yelled at me and he stormed <laughs> off. His mom was there at the church helping clean or something. And at the end of class, his mom goes, hey, he wants to talk to you. I said, okay. So he came over and he apologized. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said anything. I should have listened in class. I shouldn't have disrupted class. And I shouldn't have yelled at you. I apologize. Okay. Fantastic. He was fine the rest of the year. And he became an altar server and has come up and he is absolutely amazing. We couldn't be any prouder of him if you were our own son. We see him all the time and he comes over and he's just all smiles and we all laugh about the story. He's like, (laughs) wouldn't be here where he is if we hadn't been real with him and said, hey, this is not okay. We don't like the decisions you're making, but we still love you. Come on, let's let's put you back on the right track in class. And wow! And now he's going to be the director. You said of the next be, retreat, right? Wow! And he remembers the. So when we first started. We were like, we don't know what to do with these kids. So I bought a book, and it was just a book of games, <laughs> and it had a little explanation, and it tied it into a scripture verse, and it had an explanation for the game, and you know, tying it to that scripture. So that's what we used. Uh-huh. That, that was our class. We would go play this game, and then I would talk about it. And he remembered that book so much. He helped last year with the retreat. And he's like, Mike, can I borrow the book of games? <laughs> I was like, absolutely. <laughs> and all the kids who were there those first couple of years, they remember that book of games. Aww. We didn't have the edge program that we have now. <clears throat> so it was really the book of games <laughs> that had That's the scripture re- that the whole class was based on. It's like, okay, here we go. Let's figure this out. Now Life Teen with the edge program has really made it a lot easier for us. They've given us all the resources that we need <laughs> and not so much a, okay, how do we 
take this game and this scripture and turn it into a full lesson. Yes. The the kids loved it because it was always something off the wall. Not always, but a lot of times it was something off the wall. Like one time it was like, hey, it's a bunch of eggs. (laughs) And you guys are going to toss these eggs back and forth. Some of them are hard boiled. Some of them are not. (laughs) You're going to have to figure out which ones they are. Be careful. And we would tell the parents in advance, hey, your kids are going to get a little dirty. Make sure they come in clothes that can get dirty. But then you bring them back into into the classroom. You're like, okay. How does this tie into scripture? And they're like, we have no idea. <laughs> Explain it to us. It's like, all right, here we go. So how does that tie into scripture? <laughs> I don't remember that one anymore. That one was Aww. actually, um, if you know that you have God's grace, you're more willing, which was the hard-boiled egg, you're more willing to just toss the egg back oh, and yeah. forth. Um, she remembers. Because <laughs> you know that his love is there and it's safe. If you drop it, it's not going to break and be all over. You can keep on going. You can pick it up and keep tossing it. It's not going to change the egg. You can drop it as many times and the egg may, <coughs> eggshell may break, but God's love is still there. It's still intact holding it together. and holding things together. Whereas the hard bo- or with the, the unboiled egg, tossing it back and forth, it was very delicate. Like you toss it very gently because you didn't want to break that egg. If it felt Game over. Yeah. Um, So the kids, they started off with hard-boiled eggs, and then they went – that they didn't know were hard-boiled eggs, and then they found out, and then they were told, okay, now we're going to do it with this dozen eggs that aren't hard-boiled, and you saw the change. And then some ended up with hard-boiled eggs, and some ended up with unboiled eggs, and they didn't know who had what. So you saw them going, like, testing it, like, testing the (laughs) egg out. Is this possibly – hard-boiled and shaking the eggs next to the ear to try and figure it out. And then when they realized, wait a minute, this egg feels different. It's hard-boiled. They were more willing to throw it back and forth. So the difference between knowing you have God's love unconditionally, that hard-boiled egg, Mm -hmm. you're more willing to step out of your comfort zone and toss it than if you're unsure. If you can... If you aren't open to... Right. If you're not open to God's love and having that that solid foundation, mm-hmm. that, then you're always walking on eggshells. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I remember another Almost time started. I broke a plate. Oh, a, on purpose. A, yeah, I had a plate. I held up the plate and I remember what I said and I threw it on the ground. All the kids were like. <gasps> <laughs> they were cheap plates from the dollar store. <laughs> I still have one in a box somewhere. And it was putting it, that one was putting it back together. Like you can break a plate and putting it was about forgiveness you and saying you're sorry you put mm. the plate back together but it's still going to have cracks it can be just as strong because there's glue god's love is the glue that holds the plate together even if you're broken mm. even if a relationship is broken god can hold it also it tied together. to reconciliation right uh, and, and sin that so that, that that breaks yeah. you mm-hmm. but well no it's it's broken now apologize is it going back together? No, it's still broken. Put it back together. Is it still broken? It's still broken. You just put it back together. <laughs> right. But it was a, it was a good lesson. Right. So and they remember things like that. They yes. do. I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. Well, breaking a plate in front of them. <laughs> <laughs> there are definitely some interesting games, like the Saran Wrap yeah. game. The Saran Wrap. <laughs> wrap people up in saran wrap and they, they try to get out father michael saw us doing this. he walked in the room and the kids were wrapping me <laughs> when he walked in the room he just stared at me he's like there's there's a madness to the method father he's like i don't want to know <laughs> it's about sometimes you can't get through things without 
your community and praying as a community. You rely on them and the saran wrap was you're bound up. You can't get out of it. You don't have use of your arms. You can't move. What do you do? Well, you reach out to the people that are closest to you that love you, whether it's through prayer or giving of themselves and saying, hey, you know what? And so the rest of the class came and they were tearing the pieces of saran wrap off mm. to unbind the the person that was bound up. And they're like, you know what? I know I can rely on my friends and my family when I'm all bound up and I, I don't have the answers. Realizing you don't have to go yeah. at it alone. Right. Yeah. So there's a wow. lot of those fun games that they were like, we have no clue how any of this could possibly <laughs> tie in to anything. Never mind scripture. <laughs> like, wait a minute, but it does. But it does. And it leaves that lasting impact. Obviously, right. y'all are doing something right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. So so you help um, with EDGE. This is a big part of what both of you do, obviously. Yes. You are a deacon, and so that is a huge commitment um, at the parish. Um, and what are some of what are some of the the regular responsibilities you have as a deacon serving at your parish? So my regular responsibilities: so I serve at mass, at least one mass, supposed to help out with. Right, we the deacon is the minister of the word. So if there's a deacon present, he's going to read the gospel. I'm sliding away here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the deacon ministers the cup. That's why you'll see the deacon during the uh, the elevation of the host. The deacon holds the cup, the chalice, <clears throat> and then he helps to uh, distribute Holy Communion. That, that's the basic things we do during Mass. And Mass is not, so I should take a step back. So Mass is not the main thing we do. The, the main function of a deacon is to, is to teach. Yes, is to, to teach. teach the people of God. So that's why, so my... Method of teaching is through youth. I teach youth. I also am in charge of the altar servers, so I teach the altar servers. It's not just, hey, I've set you up, go to Mass. It's I, I bring them together once a month, and I teach mm. them something. You know, Some of the other deacons teach uh, RCIA or different things. We also baptize. We can we can do weddings. Something like that. Things like that. Quinceañeras. <laughs> well, because we can also do, we can help do, we can... As a deacon, we can help by doing communion services. Liturgy of the word with communion. With communion. Yes. And funeral services too? Do you all help with funerals? So the funeral is, um, the funeral has three parts. That's, I think a lot of people don't understand that. So there's the vigil. It's not a rosary. It's not the rosario. It's the vigil of the deceased that in the evening. And, and the deacon is supposed to preside at that. Now a priest can, of course. right? We, the deacon takes nothing away from the priest. The priest says, hey, I'm going to do this. Absolutely, Father. All you. <laughs> Then the priest does the mass, right? Because the deacon does not do mass, and it should be a mass. There are exigent circumstances. Uh, I had to do a liturgy of the word of communion for <clears throat> a funeral for actually it was a friend of mine mm -hmm. who passed away because all the priests were on retreat. So it was just an unfortunate. She passed away on this day. The funeral needs to be on this day. Hey, all the priests are gone. Mm -hmm. So we we got the I don't want to say dispensation. But we were told, hey, go ahead. You guys are the only ones around. And then the last part of the funeral is the graveside. And that, again, is the deacon. The deacon buries the dead. Mm -hmm. So the deacon ministers the cup, preaches the word, and buries the dead. Oh, wow. Wow. And then beyond that, 
um, as if that weren't enough (laughs) (laughs) with your family. But you're also involved in the choir, Dawn. You sing in the choir. (laughs) (laughs) That takes drastically less time. And obviously, I'm already at the parish and, and at mass. So it, but I've been singing since I was little. So it just made sense. God said, here's a voice. Use it. <laughs> <laughs> and you have a beautiful voice. Thank um, you. I, I, when I went to Divine Mercy, um, when we featured you all in in the most recent issue of La Fe, which I hadn't mentioned earlier, but your second time being featured in La Fe because it's our, our 20th anniversary issue. So we kind of wanted to do a, where they were, where they are now, and see how, how life has changed for you, which it has a lot. Um, Very much. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I went to Divine Mercy Church and uh, got to take photos of both of you and got to got to hear your voice. And truly, you have a, a very beautiful voice. Thank you. you Something I struggle with, but <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't. It, it is beautiful. And so, is that that's I believe all the ways that you're involved at Divine Mercy Church, right? Or am I leaving something out? I think that's it. What? You think that's enough? (laughs) Occasionally he'll help with CCD if needed, but. That's very rare. Yeah. Yes. I was actually supposed to go help one Sunday and I showed up and there was already somebody else helping. (laughs) The the original teacher wasn't there and she had asked me to help. So when I showed up to help, somebody else was there. He's like, no, I've I've got it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Better for you. You can step back. And he's, he's a lot younger and he's trying to get more involved. So I was like, hey, you know what? That's perfect. He's like, yeah, I want to do more things with the parish. Go ahead. Absolutely. All you. <laughs> Outside of the parish, we actually make rosaries. So that's one of our other ministries. We end up bringing rosaries a lot of places we go. Yes. Well, I <laughs> remember you all that's one of the first some. things we started doing. Yes. Was I, I, saw, I saw an advertisement <laughs> online and it was for, it's called Rosary Army. And I think the website's still there. And it said, make them, pray them, give them away. And I looked it up and it was how to make an all twine rosary, just uh, gauge 18 twine mm-hmm. with a crucifix on the end. All the, all the beads are knots. And I said, I can do that. <laughs> it took me two weeks to perfect the knot. It took her like two hours. <laughs> but I taught Sometimes. <laughs> She's more, she's more crafty than I am. Yeah, I was going to say, women stubborn. sometimes are more crafty. <laughs> hey, but you got it down. But I did get it yes. down. I actually I brought one to Bennett during the radiothon. Yes, I remember and that. I was, I was telling mm-hmm. him that every time I've made an all-twine rosary for myself, because those ones are actually big enough to wear and tuck under the shirt, not as a necklace, I would tuck it under the shirt. So if you want to pray it, uh, a couple of buddies of mine, I made some for them. So every time I make one for myself, I end up finding somebody who needs one and I give it to them. <laughs> So I truly, I truly make it, pray it, and give it away. I never seem to be able to keep one. <laughs> and I usually keep that twine. I'll have, have it with me right now. I usually keep that twine in my pocket. Really? So if I, I'm somewhere and I have extra time rather than just playing on my phone, I'll sit there and I'll, I'll tie knots. Hey, that's, that's a really neat idea. And that's a nice way to pass the time and also to like be patient if you're in a long line somewhere waiting for your driver's <laughs> license or something. <laughs> Wow. So maybe somebody has to make you. Maybe that's going to be key. If somebody will make you. Because then I can't give it away because it was a gift from them. There you go. There you go. That's when you'll be able to keep it. But it it went from there from all twine rosaries to plastic, the ones with the plastic beads. Those are called mission rosaries. Okay. All plastic parts with a little bit of twine. Mm -hmm. I think we sourced it out. I I priced it out. 
when I bought all the parts one time, I was like, this costs us everything, including a, a little bit of twine. At the time, it was 18 cents. Right. I think now with inflation, oh, it's wow. like 25 cents maybe. So they're, <laughs> they're dirt cheap and they take like 10 minutes to make. So you can make a lot of them real quick. Wow. And then we started making chain link rosaries, like really nice rosaries with nice beads. And and now you all have your kids helping with it too, right? They help yes. sometimes. Sometimes. Yes. The babies love making rosaries. Aww. They get to pick out their colors and and what they want and we let them go and it definitely helps with counting practice. <laughs> <laughs> yes, reinforcing the the math and <laughs> yes. So when we would help with pre cana when it was in person before COVID, <laughs> we would actually bring rosaries and give one to each couple. Oh. So we haven't been able to do that since COVID because it's all, it's all virtual. Um, Google Classroom or Google Meet or something. I think Google Meet. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Which so it'll be nice to return to that eventually. Yes. It'll be nice to go back in person. Yes. Now, do yeah. you try to pray the rosary as a family? I, I, I ask that because you have <laughs> knowing you have little ones. We try. <laughs> we try. Not as regularly as we would like, but we definitely that's try. A, that's a challenge. Yes, we have so many people in our family all going separate ways at se at the same yeah, time uh -huh. that we have our Ellie is in cross country and track. Angelina works and- And those track does, meets go all day. <laughs> yeah. Track meets tend to be eight to 10 plus hours long. Gosh. Um, the short ones. So should, there's a track meet on Saturday. It'll start at two and it won't finish until around nine o'clock. Oh and gosh. it's only varsity. <laughs> and there's meets that are varsity and JV. So those meets are 10, 12 plus hours. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> They're long days. So we have her in that. Angelina does voice lessons because she sings also. Um, and she does, she's an altar server and, mm -hmm. and she works and as well as the babies, Michelle doesn't like being away from home. She wants to be with mommy all the time. <laughs> she's five. Yeah. <laughs> she still Most wants. five-year-olds are, are there. <laughs> right? She's like, I want to be at home and that's it. Riley, mm -hmm. however, is the exact opposite and is in gymnastics and can't wait to start cross country and track at school in a couple of years. And so we have three going in all different directions, as well as Michael being out of the house for not only work, but for the diaconate and, and then me running for all of them. <laughs> so the rosary definitely doesn't get prayed nearly as often as we would like, but it does get prayed when we're finally all at home together and actually have time to sit down. Yeah, I think I think most families can relate to that, especially with kids. You know, like you all have yes. so spaced out, and you're just all running in different directions. Um, what are some prayers that you do regularly pray, or you know, do you have like a specific prayer time um, when you like to pray, just to kind of for yourself, um, running around and all that you do to to remain focused? And is there anything in particular? I use the Hallow app. Oh, really? Yes. And obviously, Kate, the, I listen to KHOY on the app on my phone. Mm -hmm. Pray um, with KHOY. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, but music generally touches my heart the most. I feel like I 
Uh, he who sings praise twice. Um, yes. So I end up singing along with Catholic or, or Christian songs, whatever comes on. Like I, that's, that's how that's my prayer. Way. Like I, it's never the same thing every day. It's okay. God, tell me what I need. <laughs> Meet me where I'm at God, because I can't do this without you. <laughs> yeah. Just tell me where I'm at because my brain gets so scattered some days that I generally don't know <laughs> i have so as a deacon i have to pray uh, morning prayer and evening prayer I, I, I that's that's part of the ordination right you, you promise to pray with the uh, with the church and that's the prayers we say <clears throat> we say so <clears throat> but i also like i like to pray the rosary uh, and i usually do it in my car on my way to work because i have a 25 minute drive to work mm -hmm. so i like to put it on because it also helps me not get as angry at other drivers <laughs> That's always good. Uh, helps, helps focus. Bonus. Focus. <laughs> On top of that, I like the 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 Angelus. I like to play mm -hmm. the Angelus. So because I ha I work a night schedule, so instead of six a.m. noon and six p.m., I do six p.m. midnight and six a.m. <laughs> and I and I do so it's so midnight and six a.m. I'm at work. So I set an alarm and I'll, it'll go off a minute beforehand, and sometimes I'll turn on KHOY on my phone because I, I like to to listen to to it being done and follow along rather nice. than just do it myself. Yes. Or if I can't do that, I'll just, I stand up where I am. And if you don't notice, the angels is supposed to be prayed facing east. Oh. So the, the ancient tradition is you you turn, you face east. So, right, we all have these smartphones. And smartphones have a compass on them. <laughs> go into your compass. So I go to my compass and I find out where east is and I orient myself. And I pull up the angels and I pray. Or I listen to KHOY. And I have an office and sometimes people walk in. I'm sitting there praying. Put on my hand. Hold on, give me a second. <laughs> and I, I've had a few, they, they just keep talking, and I'm just standing there. <laughs> That's nice. You're just you're gonna focus regardless of yeah. anyone that comes the, the, in. The building will not burn down in like three minutes. I think it takes, or whatever it takes to end. Yes, it yeah, like three it's, it's really quick. Yeah. <laughs> That's nice. That, that's very nice. And I, I have to say I like that too. Obviously, working here at the diocese and being <laughs> in the KHOI studio, I love that, you know, we hear the Angelus, um, the three o'clock hour, um, Divine Mercy. And so so that's a nice thing, you know, nice advantage of being able to work here. Although anybody can do, do a little plug yes. here. Bennett will like this for KHOI. Set an alarm for one minute before. That's what I yes. do. Set an alarm for one minute before. So I have time to take my phone, go to KHOY, and open it and listen and start listening. Yeah, yeah, with the app or online, right? Mm -hmm. So many easy ways to, to right. that we right. offer to pray. And, and mm -hmm. if I'm awake but, for three o'clock, I do try to listen to the three o'clock prayer. Yes, <laughs> if, if you're awake. awake. If, if he's awake, <laughs> generally not. Yeah, I, sleep, I sleep from the late morning to the afternoon. <laughs> and he gets home from work right after the kids go to school. So then he'll lay down and go to sleep, and then he generally wakes up right after the kids get home. Oh, so that's your time so, to see them is when they get home from school? Yes. yes. See them for a few hours before work. At least for a little while because most of them are running around. Yes. <laughs> to different <laughs> different activities. activities. Yeah, all the extracurriculars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, between with the two older ones, activities and friends. <laughs> Yeah, friends are important. Yes. 
Well, I'm so glad that you two were able to come and join me today. Um, it was a pleasure talking to you just for the um, the uh, magazine, for the cover story of La Fe. And so I was was glad to learn a bit more about you. I had read your story um, in La Fe. And so so people can turn to the newest issue, the, the 20th anniversary issue, to read more about you. But is there anything else that, that you all would like to share? Um, anything that, that we left out? I wanted to clarify something that you had brought up before about the difference between a, a transitional deacon and a permanent deacon. Yes. Because I think you said you spoke to Deacon Jerry. Yes, we had yes. Deacon Jerry on our uh, premiere show. Awesome. Yes. Good guy. And, and he's yes. a transitional deacon, so meaning he's going to um, become a priest. Become a priest. Yes. And so if anybody's confused, the, the difference between a transitional deacon and a permanent deacon, the, the easy way is, well, transitional deacon's eventually going to become a priest. Yes. And it's a, a transition. And a permanent deacon, <laughs> right? It's, it's a transition. <laughs> and a permanent deacon will remain a deacon. He's so a permanent deacon, preferably, well, not preferably, I guess he can be a married man. He doesn't have to be a married man. Doesn't have to be. Doesn't have to be, but he can be a married man, wife, kids. However, once ordained, you can't you can't get divorced, you can't get an annulment. If your wife predeceases you, you can't remarry. So you have to be prepared for that. So that's that's something that I struggled with a little bit. Like, well, what if something happens to my wife? Well, you know what? At at this point, things have been set in motion that cannot be undone. <laughs> and and that is something that I will have to, I don't want to say deal with. That's the wrong word. But that, that would be a sacrifice on my part. And I think feel that that's what God has called me to do. Mm -hmm. So they prefer your children be a little older. We mentioned that already. They prefer the children to be a little older. <laughs> but, but they do take necessary. it on a case-by-case -case basis. Sure. They base that on a lot on the wife and how she, her response is to how how does she feel about having to do the parenting by herself a lot of the time. Not completely, obviously. Yes. But a lot of the time, That's, there are going to be big things that come up and that you will have to deal with on your own. But... Mm -hmm. Is that something that you're okay with? That you're, yes, that you're willing to do. Like for us, formation was <clears throat> every other Saturday, I think it was nine hours. Oh, wow. That we went to class. <laughs> we would come here to the Family Life Center because there's, there's videos there. So we could see the professors from the university in Houston mm. and they could see us and we could actually communicate. So it wasn't just an online class where we had no input. And so that was nine hours every other Saturday. It was two classes a semester. So it was you know, four Saturdays, one class, you'd end it. And I mean, you're doing papers, you're doing finals, you know, you're doing tests. Our first class, <laughs> our first class was philosophy. And I don't remember the priest's name. He's an older <laughs> priest from the university. And every single one of us is like, I quit. I'm done. <laughs> it was, it was pretty challenging. It was very challenging. <laughs> I didn't understand a lot of the questions on the tests. I was like, I failed this class. I know I failed it. I got an A. I'm like, I don't know how I got an A. I'm pretty sure I failed. I think he graded on a bell curve. I think I think we all just did so bad. He was like, I'm he a bell curve these everyone. kids. <laughs> but it, it was hard. And so with a transitional deacon, he's already studying to become a priest. Right? He's just on he's just one step to becoming a priest. Yes. So he's going through full formation. So he's he's gone. He's at the university or the mm -hmm. seminary, 
and he's taking full-time classes, whereas we're taking part-time classes, mm-hmm. right? So they they get a lot more formation because they're going to be priests someday. Right. And that the, makes sense. And the transition, I think it's supposed to be, I think it's supposed to be a year or six months. There, there's a time frame where they're supposed to be I a transitional I believe it's a year. Is it a year? Based, I believe so. Based on, so. based on our, yes. And and based on our previous uh, Father Jose Luis Restrepo, yes, who was a transitional deacon, it was about a year. So, yes. And now you mentioned um, permanent deacons can be single. You can be a single man. You can be a single man. But once you enter, you cannot get married. Right. Correct. You're not going to date. You're not going to marry. You you have decided to be celibate. And and that's a choice you have to make. Like You have to, that's discernment. That's what discernment is for. You have to discern. Is this for me? So the whole time you're in formation, you're in discernment too. So at any time, you can just say, you know what? This is not for me. I thought it was, but it's not. And at any time, they can, I don't want to say kick you out of the program, <laughs> but they can tell you, hey, you need to step back. We had a we had a brother in formation with us that after several years, they told him, hey, this is not the time for you. You mm. need to take a step back. You, you're, we notice your, your work is suffering. Your schoolwork is suffering. Mm. You're not getting assignments on time. You're always late to class. <laughs> Just wasn't the right time. It's Saturday. How are you always late on a Saturday? (laughs) (laughs) But he was. And that was okay. And they told him, hey, you take a step back and maybe in a few years, maybe come back. And he said, okay. And he he took a step back. Yeah. I think that's that's so important. I mean, that's telling too of just everything we've been talking about, right? That everything happens on God's timing. And and in his time, he leads you to it and will bring you through it if it's the right time. And if it's not the right time, then he'll place people in your life to help you realize that. <laughs> and so, yeah. And not, and not to take from transitional deacons. So a transitional deacon is the same as a permanent deacon. They're exactly the same. So They can so do all the same. The same, All the same functions. So Deacon Jerry right now, <clears throat> he's, he's my brother deacon. Well, I'm, not, I'm not above him. I don't like to use that term above, below. Mm-hmm. There is a church hierarchy, but we don't want right, to, you don't want to think of it. In those terms, because everybody, right, a deacon, what is a deacon? He's a servant. It comes from diakonia, the Greek, to serve. Right? Mm-hmm. A deacon is a servant. So, in, in, again, I don't like to use the term hierarchy, but in that hierarchy, right, deacons were the same. Transitional, permanent, doesn't matter. Just at some point, he's going to be ordained a priest. He takes that next step, and then he does the priestly functions. Just like, just like Father Jose Luis, mm-hmm. he was a it was a deacon. We served several times at mass <laughs> at the cathedral and we were the same. And one, one time I asked him, all I was trying to do was move the book, the Roman Missal onto the altar because he was going to serve at the altar I had read. And for some reason I put the book there and boom, I was stuck there with Bishop. I was like, oh, this was not what I planned to do. <laughs> but there I was. And I, and I didn't mean to take that, that from him. Like, like I said, I had read. So usually if there's multiple deacons, we all split up the work. So, hey, you know what? You be deacon of the word. You go read the gospel. Okay. And then I'll be deacon at the table. I'll, I'll do the altar. Okay. That's how we usually do it. <laughs> but this but, you ended but that up. Time I, I accidentally messed up. And then my, my funny story with Father Jose Luis that he brought up right after his ordination. We were having dinner down below at Christ the King. Uh-huh. And Jerry had done solemn vespers. And he said, hey, thanks, thanks for everything. Like, you know, uh, just, just being there with each other at, at masses was was really fun. And especially the time at the cathedral when we forgot to light the candles. <laughs> so we were having confirmation mass for Divine Mercy. Bishop was there. We were all there. All three deacons from Divine Mercy Whoops. were there. And Deacon Jose Luis at the time was there. 
And at the same moment, we both realized it because he leaned over and went, Deacon, we forgot to light the candles. Oh, no, no. This was already, Mass had already started. started. Bishop was saying prayers. (laughs) And he was like, light them during the Gloria. Got it. (laughs) And I still had to drag out Bishop's candle because every every Mass where Bishop is, there's an extra candle. You you light one more candle for Bishop. (laughs) So I had to bring out, and it's a whole heavy lamp stand. So I had to bring the whole thing out, set it down, light it. Bishop's just there. I don't know if he was pretending like we weren't doing anything. <laughs> and so when we when we help at the cathedral, we don't know how the cathedral works all the time because we don't serve there, right? Every, every um, parish is different a little bit. Right. So every time, and, and Bishop and the other priests who who were there, whenever we're there, they're always so gracious and always so patient with us because <laughs> we always mess something up. We don't light candles. I, there was one, I don't remember what it was. It was right next to Bishop when it happened to us. like, oh, Lord. <laughs> It's, all, it's always a good time. Yeah, and us, and we, we laugh about it afterwards. <laughs> it's understandable. I mean, being in a different parish, it's, the layout is different. And, and so. And you're trying to light the incense. <laughs> we were in formation. It was a story I love to tell. So <laughs> what was her name? She told me her name too. So we, we were in formation. We were having a, a retreat. And at the end of the retreat, we had mass at the cathedral. So us at the time, candidates for the diaconate, we're trying to light the, the thurible, the sensor for the, oh. for the incense. <laughs> and we just can't get this thing to light. And this altar server, this girl, she's standing there. And she's like staring at us like, move and I'll do it. And at one point she says, I, I can take care of it. Like, no, no, we've got it. We've got it. A bunch of grown men, we can take care of this. <laughs> After about 10 minutes, we're like, we cannot do this at all. And we're like, here, you go ahead. She had it lit like immediately. <laughs> got it lit, took it outside, started swinging it around. And we're like, Wow. I saw her at the oh, mass, mass. No, the mass for the rosary walk. Okay. Right. Uh, Martha asked but if I would serve as a deacon, so I went. The pro life rosary walk. The pro life rosary walk. And so at the mass, this girl shows up. I was like, "Hey, do you remember me?" She goes, "I remember who you are." <laughs> so do you remember the thermal incident? She goes, "Absolutely." And I told her I love to tell that story because it's so funny. And she goes, "You tell that story. I tell it to all my altar servers." <laughs> It's a little bit of humility, about, right? A little bit of humility. Yeah, hey, you know being what? humble. <laughs> and sometimes, and going back to what I said before, sometimes you need to step back and say, hey, you know what? This person's better at it. I'll let them do this. <laughs> That's right. You don't have to be I in charge to, all the time. Right, exactly. I don't have to be the one who does it. <laughs> Humbled by a teenage girl. <laughs> I think she was 13 at the time. <laughs> or 12. She's, she just told me she was 18. I just forgot her name. I'd give her a shout out, but I forgot her name. I apologize. If she hears this, I apologize. <laughs> It'll probably come to you as soon as as soon as, as we're soon done I walk here. out the room. I'll, yes. I'll... <laughs> yes. <laughs> what helps that you work with kids, and so you're used to, you know, trusting them and <laughs> working with them. So <laughs> kids have a good way of humbling you some when you need it most. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, well, again, it has been a pleasure talking to you all. It always is. I, I love just learning from you, seeing what you've been through, seeing how. You know, both of you, in spite of the trials that you've both faced in your life, um, just how strong you are in your faith and you continue to serve God and be open to that um, and continue to lead others closer to Christ. Um, I think you're a beautiful example um, to to those who know you, to those around you, hopefully, you know, to, to our listeners, um, to uh, those who are, are watching who's in the pew. And um, I thank you all for that and, and just for being involved. It's wonderful knowing you. And uh, is uh, any final thoughts, any final comments as we wrap up? 
No, thank you no, for having thank us. Thank you for it's having us. It's always a pleasure. Uh, we just enjoy spreading spreading the word, right? <laughs> spreading the stories that maybe it touches somebody. Yes. You know, everything from Katie to rosary making. Mm -hmm. And I'm always happy to teach people to make rosaries. Just throwing (laughs) it out there. (laughs) If anyone wants to learn to make rosaries, let us know. Or or if there's anyone out there that is maybe going through one of the trials that we've gone through and needs someone to talk to. Mm -hmm. We're always around. We're at Divine Mercy. (laughs) That's beautiful. And for any teens at Divine Mercy, any youth middle schoolers can join Edge. Right. Absolutely. That's great. That's great. Well, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Who's in the Pew. And we'd like to thank all of our sponsors who make this show possible. Um, Again, this is an extension of Left Eye Magazine and a production of Hope Media and brought to you by the Diocese of Laredo. And we hope to see you next time on Who's in the Pew.